Chapters thirteen and fourteen of the clock struck one by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirteen Denial. This, then, was the weapon which Joad had reserved to strike his last blow. By denouncing Scott, he hoped to win a fortune, but by keeping silent for Dora's sake, he thought he could force her to marry him. In either case, he stood to win. With his indifference to money, he preferred the girl to the fifty thousand pounds it only remained for her to accept his hand in order to save her lover from death on the gallows but as yet this was doubtful certainly the bolt had been shot but would the bolt fall he waited with fixed eyes and bloodless face dora retreated slowly backwards at length she reached the wall and leant against it overcome with mingled feelings of terror and astonishment Jode, his hands hanging loosely by his side stood looking at her with a doubtful smile on his pale lips seeing that she did not speak he repeated his accusation in a different form he was now calmer your lover is the murderer of your guardian said he watching the effect of each word something in the malice of his tones brought back the courage to dora's heart with a rush she flushed up bravely and stepped forward boldly Joad did not move, and she came close to him, so close that he could feel her breath on his withered cheek. For a final taunt he spoke again. "'A murderer, that fine young man, your lover. Just think of it.' "'You lie.' She brought out the words coldly and without the least display of passion. Knowing Scott as she did, the charge was so monstrous that she could hardly forbear from breaking into hysterical laughter as it was she controlled herself admirably and merely repeated her words you lie mr joad she said steadily your accusation springs from malice you cannot substantiate your lie without wasting time in asseverations joad simply raised his finger to emphasize his words he related without preamble the grounds upon which he based his accusation listen he said in his rich deep voice you remember that day on which you brought scott to see julian very good as you know they had a serious quarrel you heard yourself that julian called out for protection scott wished to kill him at that moment but why why she stammered making a vague gesture with her hand ah you ask me more than i can tell i was not present during the conversation you know however i can guess what took place i refuse to tell all but this much i dare speak julian cast certain reflections on the dead parents of scott he mentioned something which took place twenty and more years ago at christ church she murmured he looked surprised i don't know who told you so much he said brusquely but i admit that your information is correct at christ church miss carew an episode took place which was not creditable to dr scott's parents had the episode to do with mr edermont i cannot tell you i am speaking of my grounds for suspecting your lover what passed before matters nothing suffice it for you to understand that julian quarrelled with scott and he was afraid lest the young man should murder him you heard his cry for help well said dora seeing that he paused 
well replied joad with a suave smile he did murder him no i do not believe it where are your proofs joad darted an imperious glance at her shrinking form i am about to produce my proofs he declared calmly on the night of the second of august i left here at nine o'clock you assisted julian to lock the gates behind me if i remember i went to my cottage and had my supper afterwards i waited for mr pride who had promised to look in on his return from canterbury ten o'clock eleven o'clock twelve o'clock struck and still pride did not come i thought that he had arranged to stay all night in canterbury but shortly after twelve i went out on to the road to see if he was coming i did not see him i did see dr scott allen cried dora disbelievingly himself he was coming down the road on a bicycle how could you recognize him in the dark the moon was up i recognized him in the moonlight did he see you no i was standing in the shadow i was astonished to see him near the red house at midnight and i watched him he passed the gates and got off his bicycle at the end of the wall then he turned down the side path which leads to the postern gate i waited to see if he would return but as he did not i was about to follow him when pride arrived unwilling to say anything about what i had seen lest it should compromise your lover i took pride into my house and there i got talking to him till after two o'clock in the interest of our conversation i quite forgot scott and his visit but the next morning he looked at her in a crafty way i heard of the murder and i found the postern gate open and and what inference do you draw from all this murmured dora with white lips i infer that scott called to see julian with reference to their previous quarrel perhaps to demand proofs as to the episode of christchurch i believe that he climbed the wall and entered the house through the glass door of the drawing-room which julian had not locked i have no doubt that he found julian in his study that julian told him the story of the episode was locked up in the bureau no doubt scott insisted upon having the papers which revealed the dishonour of his parents placed in his hands julian would naturally refuse then the quarrel would recommence and the end of it would be well added joad with a shrug you know the rest julian was killed and the bureau robbed of that paper what further proof can you desire that dr scott murdered your guardian dora heard this story with a suffocating feeling in her throat she felt as though a net were being thrown round allen as though he would be tangled in its meshes it was true that he had returned from london on the night of the murder but she could not understand why he should have visited the red house at midnight then she remembered that allen had gone to town on business connected with that terrible conversation with edermont what if he had learnt that edermont had spoken the truth regarding the dishonour of his parents and had returned to revenge himself on the old man these thoughts occurred to her with lightning rapidity but in the end they all gave place to one she must save him at any cost to do so she must close joad's mouth why did you not speak of this before she asked in a trembling voice i wished to tell you first 
You know that I love you. I wish you to be my wife. If you marry me, Scott will be safe. If not... If not, what would you do? My duty, said he solemnly. The situation was frightful. Dora felt that she must scream if only to relieve the tension of her nerves. If Joad denounced Allen, the doctor would be arrested. And what defense could he make? What explanation could he give for coming to the Red House on the night at the very time of the committal of the crime? She said nothing, trying to collect her thoughts, while Joad blinked at her through his half-shut eyes. "'And after all, you couldn't marry him,' he declared suddenly. "'He is guilty.' "'That has yet to be proved,' said Dora faintly. "'I cannot believe that Allen committed so horrible a crime. His motive—' "'His motive will be found in the papers he stole,' said Joad brutally. "'But come, your answer. Consent to be my wife, or I go to the police this evening.' "'You—you you must give me time,' she stammered. Joad nodded. "'That is only fair,' he said gravely. "'I will give you a week. "'If you do not promise by that time, well, "'your lover goes to the scaffold.' How Dora got out of the library and climbed the stairs to her own room she did not know. There was a humming in her ears, and the place seemed to go round and round— with an access of despair she threw herself on the bed and tried to face the situation. Allen was innocent, she was certain, although no proofs of such innocence presented themselves at the moment. But on the face of it his conduct appeared to be suspicious. What was he doing at the Red House at midnight? Why had he come there by stealth? If Joad denounced him, Dora could see no hope of saving his life. Still, she could protect him by becoming the wife of this disreputable Silenus, whom she loathed with all her soul. But he held Allen's life in his hand, and the poor young fellow was doomed unless he could make some defense. Defense! She sat up suddenly and thought. She had not yet heard Allen's side of the question. Perhaps he could explain himself and give a reasonable excuse for his presence in the study at so untoward an hour. She remembered that Edermont had written asking Allen to call and see him. Might he not have appointed the conference for midnight, and have left the postern gate and the glass door open so that Allen could enter without attracting attention? All this was feasible enough, and might be put forward in his defense. But on second thoughts Dora gave way to despair. Even so straightforward a tale would be against the presumption of his innocence. Assuming that he had been in the study at the appointed hour, how could he prove himself guiltless? The fact of the previous quarrel was known to herself and Joad. Nothing was more likely than that they might have continued their dispute. Perhaps Edermont might have threatened Allen with his pistol, and to protect himself Scott might have torn the knob-carry from the wall. But had he struck the blow? Had he? Dora closed her eyes with a faint cry to shut out the vision of horror which that thought conjured into existence. Without doubt, Allen had been present in the study at the time of the murder. Joad saw him after twelve o'clock. Dora knew that the crime had been committed a minute or so before one. It was just possible that Allen had left the house before that time. But who could prove that he had so departed? Dora rose from her bed and paced to and fro, distracted by a hundred thoughts that swarmed in her head like hiving bees. "'The murder was committed before one o'clock,' she said aloud. "'I can prove that. 
the striking of the clock came almost on top of that cry for help could allen have gone away before then he must have done i cannot believe that he would murder an inoffensive old man no provocation would make him commit so brutal a crime he is cool and collected he is not passionate and impulsive no 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 allen is innocent he left my guardian alive and well allen went but who remained had two people been present dora remembered that edermont had written other letters at the same time as that to allen perhaps he had invited a third person to be present at that midnight conference if so when allen departed the third person might have remained to kill edermont and rifle the desk if such were the case allen must know the name of that third person why then did he not denounce that person to the police not so much for the gaining of fifty thousand pounds as to accomplish an act of justice why was he silent why did he not speak out in his own defence dora could not but acknowledge in her own heart that the circumstantial evidence was strong against her lover oh i can't stay here thinking thinking she cried fiercely it will drive me mad i shall go to canterbury and see allen he must speak out now if only to defend himself from joad a week a week seven days and his life and my happiness to be saved in that short space of time i must think i must act oh allen allen she glanced at her watch it was close on four o'clock if she rode into canterbury at once she might find allen at home he usually came in between four and five to have tea no one was likely to be present so she would have him all to herself at once she made up her mind and without a word to joad or to mrs tice she went out of the house in a few minutes she was spinning along the high road as fast as her machine could go dora was right in her surmise allen was at home and at tea she went straight into the dining-room and saw him at the table he looked up with an air of astonishment at her appearance and noting his pale and startled face dora felt a pang was he guilty after all or was the terror visible in his face merely the result of her sudden entrance without a word she shut the door sharply and took a seat by the side of the table allen welcomed her with an air of constraint he offered her a cup of tea and a plate of cake dora pushed them both away in a state of fierce excitement leant her arms on the table and looked at him steadily he stared at her in surprise marvelling at her strange behaviour allen she said abruptly what were you doing at the red house on the night of the murder the young man turned even paler than before dropped the plates he was holding and fell into his chair as though he had been shot who who says i was there he stammered mr joad he accuses you accuses uh, uh, he could hardly get the words out accuses me of what of murdering mr edermont allen don't look at me like that it is not true dora said allen shaking as with palsy i i i i am i am innocent i i swear i'm innocent chapter fourteen what dr scott saw dora made no reply in spite of his asseverations of innocence she saw that he felt himself in a trap his pallid face 
his wild eyes his trembling hands all these signs hinted at a realization of his helpless position week by week since that fatal conversation he had grown thinner and more haggard he was the shadow of the comely lover who had met her by the wayside when she had taken him to see edermont he looked round the room as though searching for some means of escape one would have thought that the officers of the law were already at the door and that he was guilty dora knew that this was not the case but could not be sure until she heard his explanation suddenly he threw up his hands with a gesture of despair i was mad on that night he said in a hoarse tone dora drew back with a gasp was he about to confess to the crime and allege temporary insanity by way of excuse a violent trembling seized all her limbs and she was obliged to lean against the table while waiting for his next words you say joad saw me he asked looking at her joad can denounce me no she murmured he will not denounce you but why should he show me such mercy cried allen with haggard surprise he admires you he is jealous of me to get rid of me he would willingly place a noose around my neck that is true allen but you are safe from him he he has asked me to be his wife ah said he jealously seizing her hands and you you no he abruptly tossed her hands away you could never bring yourself to marry that wretch even for fifty thousand pounds he does not wish for that money said dora with a calmness which surprised herself he wants me like his insolence of course you told him that such a thing was impossible dora raised her eyes to his with a look of pain how could i she said slowly he saw you at the red house on that night dora allen again seized her hands you are sacrificing yourself to save me i can do no less allen i love you ah oh, she cried with a burst of tears you will never know how i love you i have suffered from your cruelty your desertion from your strange silence but i still love you as i have always done as i cannot be your wife and make you happy i can still marry this man and save you from the consequences of your crime dora you do not believe that i am guilty no allan no still i cannot understand you have refused me your confidence you say you were mad on that night morally speaking you are innocent i am certain but still in a moment of anger i swear that i did not touch him cried allan violently i admit that i was at the red house on that night he asked me to come i guessed that joad posted a letter to you yes yes wait he ran into the next room wherein his desk was standing and in two minutes he returned with a paper this is his letter you see edermont asked me to come at midnight to the red house to enter by the postern gate which he left open for my admittance he wished to add something to the conversation of the week before said dora reading the letter but my poor allen this letter rather condemns than saves you it shows conclusively that you had an appointment at the red house at midnight and mr edermont was killed at one o'clock i don't know at what hour he was killed rejoined allen taking back the letter with a gloomy air as i told you i was mad on that night i lost all idea of time whether i was in his study at twelve or one i cannot say but when i did enter i saw him dead allen dora uttered a cry of horror 
You saw him dead. He was lying on the floor near the bureau, said Scott, speaking rapidly. I see him now in my mind's eye, a limp heap with his white hair dappled with blood. The Zulu club, torn from the savage weapons which decorated the walls, lay near him. His pistol was on the other side. He was dead, dead, ah, God, dead. During this recital, Dora had sunk into a chair, overcome by the vehemence of his words. Allan strode to and fro, swinging his long arms with a look of horror on his worn white face. He pressed his hands to his eyes as if to shut out the scene which his too vivid fancy had painted. Half swooning, Dora uttered a sob, and the next moment Allan was on his knees beside her, covering her hands with passionate and burning kisses. "'My queen, my saint,' he said hurriedly, "'and you would sacrifice yourself for me.' You would marry this drunkard, this parasite, this vile reptile, to save me from danger. No, Dora, no. I have been weak and foolish, but I am not guilty. I swear that I am not guilty. You shall not shield me at the cost of your own ruin. Oh, if I could only tell you all. But I dare not, I dare not. Carried away by his passion, angered at the sense of his weakness, he could have kissed her feet. But Dora placed her hand on his forehead and reasoned calmly with him. He was not to be saved by giving way to such whirlwinds of passion and despair. The prospect was terrible, but they must both face it boldly. Allan was innocent. He said so, and she believed him. That was everything. If he were not guilty, they might find a way out of the trap into which he had stumbled. To do so, she must know exactly what took place on that fatal night, and to this end she addressed her frenzied lover. Allan, she said gravely, this is not the way to save yourself from arrest or me from a disgraceful marriage. I have obtained a week's time from Joe to think matters over. In seven days we can do a great deal, and we may see a way out of this terrible situation. Sit down beside me and tell me exactly what you did on that night. I shall not sit down beside you, Dora. I shall remain here at your feet. Ah, heaven, to think of that cruel bar which prevents our marriage. You should know all, but I have not the courage to tell you. Keep silent on that point, said Dora soothingly. What I want to know now is the story of that night. You returned from London on the second, did you not? Yes, he replied in a tired voice. In that conversation I had with Edermont, he made certain statements which I could not believe. He said I could verify them in London, and told me how and where I could do so. I could not rest until I knew the truth, therefore I caught the express at Selling and went to town. Alas, alas, I found that he had spoken only too truly, and that you could never be my wife. Repressing the curiosity which devoured her to learn the terrible secret of which he spoke, Dora smoothed his hair gently, and asked him to relate what had taken place on his return from this mysterious errand. He obeyed her like a child. "'When I came home,' he said with thoughtful deliberation, "'I found that letter I showed you awaiting me. Edermont asked me to see him in his study at midnight on the second of the month. "'But how he knew that I should return on that day I cannot guess.' "'I can explain,' said Dora quietly. You wrote and told me when you would return, and I showed the letter to my guardian. Why did you do that, Dora, especially when you knew about our quarrel? I wished to point out to Mr. Edermont that you had gone to London, 
replied dora and if possible induce him to explain your reason for going there ah he knew my reason well enough said allen with a frown but i suppose he refused to tell you what it was naturally he refused to tell me anything but now you know how mr edermont learnt the date of your return and appointed that midnight meeting for the date go on allen i was pleased to get his invitation continued allen picking up the thread of his story as i fancied he might confess something further likely to ameliorate the distressing situation in which i was placed by his previous revelation i determined therefore to obey the summons but as yet wanted three hours till midnight the thought of the delay worked me into a fever of anxiety the hopes the fears the vague terrors which beset me drove me nearly wild i declare dora that i was like a madman a hundred ideas came into my head as to how i might do away with the effect of edermont's secret and regain you but one and all were dismissed and i felt more helpless than ever only one man could put matters right and that was the man who put them wrong so there was nothing left for it but to wait until i saw him at midnight had you any idea that a third person might be present at your meeting no as you see there is no mention of a third person in the letter nor did i see a third person in the study only the dead man's corpse ugh allen shuddered i shall never forget that horrible sight it was gruesome enough in the morning said dora with a shiver so it must have been doubly horrifying at night well did you remain indoors until you went to the red house no i could not rest i could not bear the confinement i felt that i must be up and doing so in sheer despair i went out on my bicycle where i went i do not know the night was as bright as day with the rays of the moon and i had sufficient sense to guide the machine rightly while running blindly along not knowing or caring whither i was going i went up hill and down dale along those weary roads until i wore myself out physically exhausted for i must have been riding at nearly top speed for hours i turned in the direction of chillam at what time i got there i do not know you had your watch with you yes but in my then perturbed state of mind it never struck me to look at it mr joad said he saw you pass his cottage shortly before twelve o'clock it might have been said allen indifferently but to my mind it was nearer one o'clock indeed it must have been for according to your showing the murder was committed about that time and when i entered the study i found edermont dead dead poor soul cried dora clasping her hands the postern gate was open continued allen rapidly also the side door of the deserted drawing-room this did not surprise me as i had been led to expect from the letter that the way would be clear for me to enter when i went into the study i was struck with horror at the sight a candle wasted nearly to the socket was burning on the bureau the desk itself was hacked and smashed and the drawers forced open as you saw it in the morning hundreds of letters and papers were scattered about some on the bureau itself others on the floor and in the midst of all this disorder lay the ghastly dead body terrible to look at in the pale glimmer of the expiring candle the pistol was on one side the knob carry on the other and the dead man with his face and head beaten and disfigured lay between did you hear anyone or see anyone i heard nothing i saw nothing the door leading to the hall was closed and there was no sign of the assassin i saw in a flash the terrible position in which i was placed i had quarrelled with edermont and here i was in his private room at midnight standing beside his dead body 
i might be accused of the murder and condemned on circumstantial evidence for on the face of it i could make no defence as i looked with horror on the scene with these thoughts in my mind the candle flamed up in one expiring flash then died out in a blue flicker i was alone in the darkness with the dead man and seized with a sudden panic surely excusable under the circumstances i turned and fled rapidly in two minutes i was on my bicycle running full speed for canterbury that is all i know dora dora considered for a few moments after he had finished you are sure that there was nobody else in the red house on that night she asked after a pause allen hesitated i did not intend to speak he murmured but for my own sake i must tell you all when i was coming into chillum i met a woman going towards canterbury on a bicycle a woman allen and at midnight alone who was she at the time i passed her i did not know said the doctor rising but on my return journey when i had left the house after the murder i met her again by the railway bridge she was wheeling her machine down the hill and called out to me to help her the tire of her back wheel was punctured i got off at once notwithstanding my anxiety to get home and with the aid of a gutta percha i soon mended the tiny hole then we rode on together until our roads parted do you know who she was asked dora for a second time yes said allen quietly i recognized her at once he produced a brooch from his waistcoat pocket i found this in edermont's study where it had no doubt been dropped by her how do you know by putting two and two together look at the brooch dora did so it was a slender bar of pale gold to which two letters formed of small pearls were attached she uttered an exclamation of astonishment as she read them out l b she said that stands for for laura burville finished allen quickly exactly laura burville was the woman i met coming from chillum and by the evidence of the brooch laura burville was the woman who was in edermont's study on the midnight of the second of august End of chapters 13 and 14